Well, we are in the final week in our series on why work and rest matter. Next week, we'll begin a new teaching series on prayer, which I'm super excited about. And one of the things that I want us to just say from the beginning before we even start there is that that teaching series that we'll be starting next week on prayer is not going to be on the sort of how to pray properly type of teaching series. The heart of that teaching series is that we might share in relationship with God and cultivate intimacy with God in new ways. See, we believe in this church that there is a God who's created all things. He's created you. He's created your life with purpose and a plan. And that he's revealed himself through the person of Jesus. And you can know God and be known by God in an intimate way, in a life-transforming way. Oh, man, let's just, let's just come to prayer. Should we just go? Um, we're not going to do that. I'm not totally prepared, but... You're going to want to come back, and, and I just want us to know from the get-go, that this is all about knowing Jesus. This is all about knowing Jesus and being known and transformed by Jesus. Even this series on work and rest is not essentially about becoming better workers, though I hope that happens, and it's not about just being better resters, though I hope that happens too. The hope is that we can see the whole of our lives, whether it's our work or our rest or our prayer, it's an opportunity to know and be known by God and to worship Him and live a life that honors Him. But this morning, we're going to be concluding our series, Reflecting on Rest. We will talk about my four days of fitness. I was like 25 pounds lighter than what I am, believe it or not, once upon a time. We'll talk about how only religious folks can turn rest into work. Then we'll talk about a police ride-along that I went on a couple of weeks ago, some Hebrew words. How Will almost killed me mountain biking when I first started at the church, and then the theology of napping will conclude our eleven thousand seven hundred and twelve. Eleven thousand seven hundred and twelve. That's how many seconds it took for me to finish and complete my first marathon. For those who can't divide. 60 multiple times to that number in your head, which I can do very quickly, I'll prove to you right now. That turns out to be 3 hours, 15 minutes, and 12 seconds. For those who are unsure, no, you don't have to clap. No, you don't have to clap. <laughs> For those who are unsure, if that's fast or slow, to run a marathon in 3 hours, 15 minutes, and 12 seconds, that averages to about 7 minutes and 26 seconds per mile for 26.2 miles. Those who are still unsure of what any of that is, I finished 64th place out of 
time to train now with Levi in our lives in the same ways that we were able to in years past. Because training requires a lot of planning and a lot of discipline. To run the miles you need to prepare for a marathon, you end up running most days of the week. In fact, you end up running about six out of the seven days a week, and on really long mileage days, you might end up running two different training sessions in a single day. But the favorite day for me when I was running and training for marathons was my rest day. It's the best day, because there's no running that you needed to do on that day. But every training plan, every training, or every book that I've read on running, they all sort of incorporate into the training plan a rest day into every single week's cycle. See, rest is a really important part of training. But this is why rest is so important when you're training for an endurance event. It's important because it allows you and your muscles and your body to recover so that you can train more. You see, the rest day is included as a tool for training. Rest existed for the work that you were doing as a runner. And one of the things that I want us to say from the get-go is that if we aren't careful, it's easy for us to make the concept or the idea of rest as a part of our work, even in the way that we talk about it. We can sometimes think that the biblical idea of rest is a way of recharging our batteries in our lives so that we can do more work. Like a battery that drains from being used and needs to be recharged, it's tempting for us to think to ourselves that we've been drained all week and in order to work again, we need to recharge our batteries. But this is not the biblical vision of rest. Rest as it turns out, does not exist for our work. Rest exists for us to enjoy in and of itself. This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man. Or as Eugene Peterson writes in that message translation of that same verse, the Sabbath was made to serve us. The Sabbath isn't there so that it can serve our work. It exists to serve us. The Sabbath and rest do not exist for work, but for us. And it's not just easy for us to make our, and it's really easy for us to make our rest about our work, right? But it too is easy for us to make rest work, rest work in and of itself, right? This is what was going on in Jesus' day. It's difficult to understate how important observing Sabbath and rest was to his culture and his in Judaism in Jesus' time period. Sabbath was observed by, by uh, ceasing work on a Friday night and ceasing your work until Saturday evening as well. From sundown to sundown, Friday to Saturday, the Jewish community refrained from working. And there were a lot of reasons why, and we explored some of those last week. But in order to obey the fourth commandment, observe the Sabbath, the Jewish religious teachers of Jesus' day attempted to answer a really simple question. What does it mean to work? If I'm supposed to stop working, what are all of the things that I'm supposed to stop doing in order to rest and honor and observe the Sabbath as I have been called by God? And the answer to that question created a whole list of things that Jews were not supposed to do, the things that Jews were supposed to avoid doing on the Sabbath. And trying to recall everything you're not supposed to do becomes a sort of work in and of itself. 
See, only religious people can make the command to rest its own kind of work in and of itself. But the problem with this approach to Sabbath rest, in my estimation at least, is that it doesn't help you get any closer to understanding the positive command, observe the Sabbath. God did not say, don't work, right? He gave it to us in a positive form, observe the Sabbath. Like, imagine your employer gave you a job description filled with all of the tasks that you aren't supposed to do. Don't come into work late. While sort of understood that you shouldn't come into work late, it doesn't really inform you of what time work actually begins, right? You just know don't come in late, but you don't know what it means to be late. But imagine all of the tasks might be included in a job description that was that long. How long would it be all the things that you're not supposed to do in your job? And what might it include? The prohibitions might be don't wear jeans into the office and don't arrive to meetings with clients riding a unicycle. Those are equally valid things that you're not supposed to do in your job, but it doesn't help you get any closer to understanding what you're actually supposed to do in your job. So the question remains for us, what does it mean to observe Sabbath? Okay, don't work. But what does that positive command mean? What does it mean for us to truly rest? What would that actually look like? Are we able to think of rest as something we practice, things we do? Or is it just things that we refrain from doing and avoid? Are we just supposed to avoid certain tasks, or are there things that we can do on the Sabbath and in order that we might rest? And how might we sort of come to a new understanding of this positive command that God gives us in the Ten Commandments to observe the Sabbath and rest? I think we find a clue as to how we ought to practice rest as early in Scripture as the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. A little extra credit here. So last week, we looked at the fourth of the Ten Commandments that's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Did you know that there were two lists of the Ten Commandments in the Scriptures? There's one in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and there's one in Exodus chapter 20. And did you know that in those lists of Ten Commandments, particularly with the fourth commandment, they are not written exactly the same. Last week we talked about how Deuteronomy chapter 5, observe the Sabbath, the command is grounded in the story of the Exodus. That is, God says, you need to observe the Sabbath because you were slaves and you didn't have a choice whether to rest and work. And now you need to rest because you have a choice. But in Exodus chapter 20, we're told a very different story. There's a different foundation for this command. In Exodus 20 verse 11, we're told to observe the Sabbath for this reason. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Interesting. One grounded in the Exodus event and one grounded in the creation event. What is that all about? So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1 this morning. But prior to the section of Genesis 1 that I want to get into, you have to have a little bit of background story. What's going on in Genesis chapter 1? In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God has created all of creation. He has taken what was chaotic and ordered it. He has separated the day from the night, the sky from the waters, the waters from the land. And he fills the day and the night with the sun and the moon and the stars. He 
fills the sky with birds, and he fills the waters with fish. He filled the land with plants, animals, and people. And after creating all of these, the galaxies, the glorious sunsets, the lavishly grown flowers, the elegantly running cheetahs and hopping kangaroos and swimming dolphins, God peers over his creative work. And this is where our passage picks up this morning in verse 31. Genesis reads this way. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I love that first line there, verse 31. God saw all he had made, and it was very that verse is very instructive for us this morning to see how God takes a break. He doesn't just stop creation and think, oh, man, I'm exhausted. Okay, i got to like, take a break. This is really hard work. He doesn't just stop. God takes the time to look at everything that he had made and to delight in it. He took time to notice that creation was very good. You see, the grounding the command to observe the Sabbath in God's work and rest is an invitation to us to do the same. That is to say, to rest is to intentionally delight in God's good creation. You see, observation of the Sabbath is to practice at least for 24 hours each week in affirming the goodness of God's world and the gifts that it offers to us. And I want us to consider this morning how building a regular practice of restfulness might invite us to delight in our circumstances, to delight in one another, to delight in playing, and to delight in the gospel in new and fresh ways. The other day, I went on a ride-along with the Ventura Police Department. I wanted to get sort of a sense of our city and like where crime happens in case Kate and I want to live in a particular neighborhood, what all is going on there, hear a little bit of kind of the layoff of the city for people who are really engaged into work within our city, the various parts of it. And as soon as our my ride along began, it was an unending series of responses to various emergency calls in the city and cops. They drive like absolute maniacs. You know, everyone these calls. I thought it would be a lot easier to like flip on the lights, get everybody out of the way, but for like only specific types of crimes that you can do that for. And so. Most of the time, you're just like tailgating somebody, trying to get somewhere. But if I remember correctly, the progression of those two to three hours that I was riding along went this way. It started with a fender bender over by the hospital, then a burglary in progress over on the avenue, then an overdose of a homeless man downtown, a domestic assault in Midtown, vandalism at a local business downtown, and then homicidal threats over in the East End. It was a thrilling, Three hours in the car for my ride along. It touched every part of our city. So wherever you live, know that there is bad stuff going on there. I walked away from the experience amazed, honestly, at how much happens in our city. All the hours and all the days. 
We were one of 12 or so patrols at the time. And the officer that I rode with, he said usually they have like this little computer monitor that has all the 911 calls that need sort of responding to. He says, like every day, that list, if we average about 10 calls waiting for us to come and respond to, because that's how often there are emergencies and hardships going on in our city. So there's rarely a time where there isn't somebody waiting for the police to come to their home and deal with the broken situation they found themselves in. And I walked away just amazed at how much just awfulness goes on in people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's no doubt, right? There's no doubt that our world is full of brokenness and evil and suffering. I mean, not just in our own city. You can see it on media news outlets, on Twitter, on Facebook, on whatever channels that you like to watch TV on. There's just not stopping, never ending stream of bad news coming our way. It's probably less of a stream that is being sprayed at us and more of an ocean that we're kind of swimming in all of the times. But for some of us, the circumstances of suffering and hardship, they are not news items, they are not 911 calls that people are responding to, they are our current realities. Financial hardship, relational betrayal, losing a job, lack of good health. If we wanted to, we could spend our attention and our focus on all of the wrong and broken aspects of our lives, of our city, and of the world. There are plenty of places for us to gaze if we wanted to do that. But Sabbath and rest involves the intentional practices of seeing what's good in God's world. It is to delight in your current circumstances. You see, admiring the sunset over the ocean, taking time to appreciate the luxuries we do have, like a cold glass of water, or the ability to walk our kids down the street. I read a pastor who, as goofy as it sounds, he says, Sabbath reminds him to appreciate the comforts of just a warm shower, as he remembers what a gift that is to live in a place where you can do that. See, observing Sabbath is an invitation to us to delight in the goodness of our circumstances, at least for one day out of the week, regardless of how difficult that circumstance might be. See, the Apostle Paul encourages this when he writes these words from a jail cell. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Oh, I think I had something on here this morning. I, I have... I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That famous passage, Philippians 4.13 is founded on the idea that regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what's going on in my life, I can rejoice in who God is, even if I'm in a jail cell because my faith has led me there. Well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in wants, Paul finds the strength to delight and rest in God's goodness in all circumstances. This is one way we ought to practice Sabbath rest in our lives. We also practice Sabbath, though, by delighting in one another. We practice Sabbath by delighting in one another. Throughout the creative account of Genesis 1 and 2, 
This is really interesting. God sees things that he creates, and he says they are good. So God says, let there be light. And he looks at the light, and he says, ah, I did a good job there. Or he says, like, I'm going to make animals. And he makes the animals, and he looks at the animals, and he's like, dude, those are some cool animals. That is super good. Right? And it sort of climaxes there in verse 31 that we read this morning where God sees everything. And so one place where God said, it was very good. Everything that God creates in Genesis 1 and 2 is good. There is, though, one thing that is said to be not good in the creation story. Now, one thing is loneliness. In Genesis chapter 2, what we see is that man, Adam, in that particular story, is living by himself. And God looks at that lonely existence and says, that it is not good for people to be alone. And it's Sabbath. It's an invitation for us not to pay attention to our work and our projects, but Pay attention to people. The other day, I had a very convicting moment. In my reading and study, I learned that the Hebrew word that would translate presence like God's presence, when you read that somewhere, is the same word that we translate as face. So like the face of God and the presence of God, these things are the same Hebrew word. And the idea of a person's presence being the attention of their face sort of pierced my heart with a sharpened arrow of guilt. How often am I physically with my wife, my face is hooked to a screen? How often am I physically with Levi, my face is in a book, or attending to what's on the television? I'm physically present, but often absent with my face. And the question that is vague, that says, am I actually present? My face is not attending to those that I care about and love. You see, invitation to rest is an invitation to delight in one another, to be fully present to people, our friends and our family. We eat and laugh and talk in order to be fully present. Sabbath is a day for undistracted presence with the family. One of the things that I try and do now when I hang out with Paige and Levi on Saturday is I try and leave my phone at home, so it's just not distracting wherever it is that we are going. But when was the last time you were truly present with someone? Not thinking about work, the back of your mind, that game just always gets staying, right? Not talking about chores, household things, and finances that you talk about with your spouse, but just simply being together, laughing, and delighting one another. This is one of the reasons why it's so good for you to go to lunch with people in our church after service. It's an opportunity to delight in one another. The Sabbath is an invitation for us to be present fully, face and physically, with one another. Several weeks ago, Will invited some of us to go mountain biking for his birthday. It was really funny. He was so giddy and excited about it. I can talk about it because he's not here. But I had never been mountain biking before, but I've heard two things about mountain biking. One, it's a lot of fun. Two, everyone crashes eventually, right? And so I approached that Saturday morning with a little bit of, like, fearful excitement. Excitement for the adrenaline rush and, like, the speed of downhill riding a mountain on a bike. Fearful to injure myself. I'm just trying to avoid injury at all costs at my age. I just don't want to deal with any sort of injuries. In our first run that morning, I told myself not to ride fearfully. Do not be dictated by your fear. Just go 
go for it full bore. And go for it, I did. I went first to our little group of bikers that were going down the mountain that morning, and it was all of 10 seconds into our first trip down the mountain that I found myself soaring off the seat of my bike, over my handlebars, only to be confronted by the reality of gravity moments later. I swear Will was trying to break the new pastor. But as I laid on the ground, uninjured, I found myself just laughing hysterically. The first thing that I said was, did you get that on camera? Did you get that? Did you record that? The crash was fun. Spent <laughs> the next two to three hours riding bikes together, up and down the mountain, launching ourselves dangerously off of ramps, by launching ourselves, I really mean we got like six to ten inches of air off the ground for like a split second. At one point, at the top of the mountain, I looked around at the handful of us who gathered that Saturday morning. Just a bunch of friends riding bikes just for fun. I can't remember the last time I rode bikes with friends laughing and playing like children. The Sabbath is an invitation to delight in the world by playing. See, the early church fathers referred to the Trinitarian relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to describe that unity. They had this Greek word called perichoresis. That is, the Christian church has long affirmed that there's one God made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the unity of that relationship is described as perichoresis, which literally means dancing around. You see, Sabbath is an invitation into the fullness of who God is by entering into the playful dance that God does in creation. Sabbath is an invitation for us to dance around in creation, playing games, sports, hiking, visiting museums, looking at old family pictures, whatever it is, as a reminder that this world is good and is something to be enjoyed and enjoyed in. We delight in God's creation through the nurturing and practice of playing in it. But Sabbath rest, lastly, is the opportunity for us to delight in the gospel. Sabbath rest is the opportunity to delight in the gospel. For those who haven't been around our church for long, we are part of a denomination known as the Church of the Nazarenes. It is not a cult, it's just a Christian Protestant church. That's our denomination. Traditionally, the Church of the Nazarene, like many others, held Sunday morning services and Sunday evening services. This is a tradition from before I was a part of the Church of the Nazarene. Fortunately, I never had to suffer through that. I apologize if you guys love Sunday night services. That sounds like a long, long day of church. But in this tradition, <laughs> in between the morning service and the evening service, people were not rested. They were exhausted. I don't know if it was from Sunday school or what it was was going on, but that time between the services created a great tradition that we know as the Nazarene nap. In between these two things, Nazarenes celebrated their Sundays by catching a few disease. There's no activity, no productivity, no play, no anything, just uninterrupted sleep. Is there any greater expression of confidence in the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God loves and receives us just as we are, not as we should be. 
It's the news that God is taking imperfect, flawed people and doing His good, wondrous work through them. It's the news that God can take anyone from any circumstance, from any life experience, and do something new and beautiful in their life. And this good news, this work for God, is not something we do for ourselves. It's something we receive from the gracious generosity of our God. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But in the gospel, we recognize that we are enough. That no matter how big or small our lives seem to us, we are children of God. And there's nothing that you can do to make you more a, a, a child of God. Practicing a weekly Sabbath is a reminder that we don't work to earn the gospel. We don't have to work to earn God's love and grace. We don't have to work to maintain our identity as the children of God. It's something that we simply receive. It's something that we can rest in. See, in the gospel, we identify that we are enough because God has said so through his son, Jesus. We delight in the gospel. Sleeping. <laughs> I wonder how regularly dedicating an entire day of your life once a week to enjoy and delight in the goodness of God's creation and God's gifts might form you in new and fresh ways. I wonder how you might see God's goodness in new and surprising ways by seeking to identify it for an entire day each week. I wonder how your relationships might be formed as you took an entire day just to be present with people, appreciating who they are and their uniqueness in your life. I wonder how your life might be invigorated by playing regularly, taking one day out of the week to do things that you enjoy for the sole sake of your own enjoyment and pleasure. I wonder how our feelings of inadequacy in the Christian life and faith might be combated by taking an entire day every single week to be reminded of the gospel news that you are enough because Jesus says so. Would you, this is a big question, would you be willing to practice this kind of rhythm once a week for the next couple of months? As I was thinking about our church, one of the things that we have to do as a people and we're following in the weight of Jesus, actually taking the instruction that he gives to us and implementing them into our lives. This is the way that God has chosen to form us into the likeness of his son. And I wonder if you might be willing to intentionally try to delight and rest that God has for you once a week for the next couple of months just to see what it's like. What might do to your relationships? Why did you do the way that you understand faith and the gospel? Once a week, could you take 24 hours to intentionally delight in God's good world and of God's good gifts? Church, the call to rest is an invitation to rehearse the delight we will have in heaven. May our work and rest give the world the foretaste of the world that is to come. Amen? Father God, we are so grateful that you are a good God, that you do good work, and you also invite us into good rest. God, I pray that you would give us the foresight, intentionality, and courage and faith 
believe that as we do those things, we obey the commandments that you offer to us. That is when our lives and our church will bear the fruit that you have for us. So make us quick to obedience, God. We're so grateful that you are God. We're so grateful for the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to be receiving communion. I want to invite the ushers to come forward to receive these elements. As elements are passed, you need not be a member of the church to receive them. We only ask that you are a follower and a disciple of Jesus, even if today is the day that you made that decision. And I invite you to receive these elements, hold on to them, so we might take them together as an expression of our unity as one body this morning. And I want to remind you all that there are two cups
bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. Do this in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ poured out. 